The only way to score is, of course, to play uh, with a handbrake off. Hello, I'm Ian Stone, and this is Handbrake Off, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic. I'm joined this afternoon by The Athletic writer James McNicholas, a.k.a. Gunnerblog, and stepping in for Amy Lawrence, who is currently out of the country, we have the journalist Nick Callow. Good afternoon, chaps. Afternoon. 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 And now, Nick, um, we like to ask everyone who comes on the show for their Arsenal credentials. So, uh, what are your Arsenal credentials? (laughs) Well, I'd like to think I'm at least an Arsenal fan. I, mean, I was taken to my first Arsenal game when I was a babe in a blanket. In a blanket. In a blanket. Uh. Baby in arms, I think you used to call it. <laughs> so I've got no idea what my first game is. And then I sort of got into journalism and I was honoured to ghostwrite Arsene Wenger's column when he used to do one for the Arsenal Club magazine. But I think my favourite Arsenal moment is all tied into one great night at Anfield in 89. Yay. Having been behind the goal... <laughs> When uh, Mickey Thomas scored that goal and celebrated all night, then had the honour of driving back to Southgate, unlike you, I think, Lee, to the winner's bar in Southgate, where we all celebrated with the players, much to my amazement and continuing disbelief to today. And one of the things in those simpler times, we all played Paul with lots of the players. My mate won Alan Smith's tie off him for playing at Paul. And I got to play against Gus Caesar, who everyone said in my mate's group was a Tottenham fan. Well, how can we have a Tottenham fan playing Anyway, I beat Gus Caesar. No surprise there. Is it true that somebody once said that his name was Augustus Caesar? He goes, he doesn't look much like a Roman. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I hope it is. Um, and are as, they credentials enough anyway? I, I think so. You are very welcome, Thank you. Nick. It's, good. it's an honour to be here in, in uh, place of Lady Amy and, or Highbury. Uh, uh, and uh, as you've heard, joining us down the line, uh, a man who we christened Private Fraser last week, but if anything... He wasn't doom-laden enough, really. It's the Arsenal legend that is Lee Dixon. Good afternoon, Lee. How are you, chaps? All right. I didn't know Amy was... I wouldn't have come on if I'd known Amy wasn't on it. Oh, sorry, Lee. Thanks. She's, she's, uh, joking. she's on holiday. joking, Nick. <laughs> she's on holiday. He's not joking to us, though, is he? Do you notice that? Just yeah. Nick. Uh, yeah, she is on holiday. And hopefully for her without any internet connection, so she doesn't know what happened on Sunday. Um, now, before we get going, uh, we all saw Sunday, and I think we can all agree that with the awful performances we've had this season, Sunday may have been the worst. So we started thinking, what is the worst Arsenal watching experience you've ever had? James, mm. what's the worst one for you? For me, the one that immediately springs to mind is 2011, the League Cup final. It was absolutely brutal. Because what were we, six years, I think, without a trophy at that point? Against Birmingham City, who would look to be going down. Absolutely the clear favourites. We just had to turn up and celebrate. And, of course, we all know what happened. We didn't do it in the end. This is really bringing mm. me down already, this conversation. Yeah. <laughs> Nick, what have you got? That was, a, that was a really grim day. Although I do remember bumping into John Lydon, Johnny Rotten that day. He was wearing one of those white sort of butcher uh, doctor coats, absolutely <laughs> hammered and having a great time. So that sort of took the edge off it slightly. <laughs> so the one that really took me a long, long time to get over was the semi-final at Wembley in 91 when Gaza beat us in that semi-final. But luckily, two years later, we beat them when Tony Adams' donkey won the derby. So it took two years to get over that defeat. and oh, Losing in that semi-final was That was bad. Terrible, that was terrible bad. Day. What was yours, Ian? I was going to ask Lee okay. first, because Lee, uh, I was interested in whether you have won, because obviously last week when we when we talked about the West Ham game and we were all sort of celebrating a win, <clears> and you're going, no, no, well, you know, we'll talk about the other 80 minutes. So I wonder, yeah. obviously, maybe if, if you don't get the pleasure quite like we do, you don't get the pain quite like we do as well. Oh, no, no. <laughs> 
That doesn't sounds work like the like worst that. of both worlds, Lee. But it doesn't on. work like that. No, I, I don't enjoy it as much as you guys, I don't think, but I certainly feel it. And without a doubt, the uh, the game has already been mentioned. The 91 semi-final loss to Tottenham was the worst and most um, devastating game I've played in. And I, I can't... I, because I've wiped it out from my memory, I can't really remember whether it was a good game or a bad game or we played well or we didn't play well and we deserved anything or not. All I remember is, you know, we had a, a hotel booked for the game, uh, for the after celebrations when we got to the final um, already booked in St Albans and obviously we'd paid for it all so we still went and that was it was like <laughs> the worst night out ever yeah so we all sat around in the no hotel in uh, in St Albans sort of as miserable as you can be sort of just seeing all those Tottenham players at the end of the game you know doing their celebrations but especially Gary Lineker it oh. really it really hurt a lot I'm going for Chelsea away 6-0 a few oh, years right, yeah. ago. Arsene Wenger's 1,000th game yeah. in charge, mm. and it was yeah. Mourinho. We were 3-0 down in 20 minutes. The wrong black player was sent off, right? It was awful. And then after 5-0, I says to my son, Alexander, should we go? And we left after 60 minutes. The worst bit, though, we're on the bus on the way home. I hadn't paid for the tickets before the game, so I had to transfer 138 quid into somebody <laughs> else's account after watching 70 minutes of a 6-0 defeat to Chelsea. Oh, so was that, that was, was that, that when Mourinho was came out with the specialist in failure comment as well. It may well have been because that, for that, that alone, he should never be anywhere near the Arsenal dugout. Yeah. Well, uh, it, I don't think he's going to be now. Uh, <laughs> good call. Uh, now, uh, uh, Lee. Our producer, yes. Tayo, was rooting yes. through uh, some of the archives and we came up with this rather excellent Q&A that you did quite some time ago. So I've got oh, the, uh, the questions in front of me and I was going to ask you, see if you can match up the answers, all right? What do you eat for, pre-match, for a pre-match meal, Lee? Eggs and beans. Eggs and beans. <laughs> Has he got it? This is like a sort of weird Mr. and Mrs, isn't it? <laughs> um, yes, eggs and beans. Absolutely right. Very, very good. Uh, the favourite TV programme, I mean, surely it's the same. Coronation Street. Of course it is. Of course it is. And, <laughs> and this... I'd, like to, I'd just like to point and step in there and say, no, it's not now, thankfully. I've, I've moved on. I've matured. What, is it Emmerdale now, is it? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, I, I, I've tried to stay away from soap if I can. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and one more. I'll give you one more. And I love this one. If you won a million pounds tomorrow, what's the first thing you would buy? Oh, I, I remember this. Cause somebody <laughs> somebody brought this up recently and said, I think I think I said I would buy my council house or something ridiculous like that. Outstanding, and I did is that say, house? it is. No, I was thinking, where were you living, Kensington? Uh, but anyway, uh, excellently, excellent. There are. Thank you. That's all right. Pink Floyd, though, really. Um, anyway, oh Floyd, you're not a Floyd fan. Um, there's some of the albums. Let's not get into this now. Right. <laughs> We were talking before, Lee, about losing the dressing room. And it felt yeah. like Unai Emery lost the dressing room. But in real terms, have you been in a dressing room that has sort of gone AWOL? And what's it like? What's the feeling when that happens? I think it's different now. I think there's there's more opportunity for players and teams and to lose their own dressing room, if that makes any sense, because of player power and the way that, the game has gone and all the power is with the players now. Um, for whether you like it or not, they, they become king of the castle and they can, they can, th- you know, literally throw the toys out the pram and, 
and behave basically like they want to. The power has been removed away from the manager and the club. You know, you can't find players anymore. You, you can, but it doesn't have an effect. You you haven't got, as a manager, you haven't got the, the rule over the players like you used to. So I'm just trying to think back to when Bruce took over, Bruce Rioch. And he wasn't obviously a popular choice no. with everybody when he took over. And it's right, well, come on, the players, you realise when a manager comes in, you're instantly on trial, regardless of what you think of the manager or what you think, whether he should have got the job or not. So you knuckle down, you start trying to show what you can do in training and, and be the guy that he looks to and go, yeah, you're going to be, you know, in his first first team that he picks, you want to be in it, you want to do well and all of that sort of stuff. So Lee, this just, is why they, they have the new manager bounce, yeah? Quite often. Yeah, I mean, yeah, absolutely. It's like, you know, if, if you're working in any, any industry and the bo- your boss leaves and walks out the door then as the new boss walks in I, I i defy anybody to sort of have an attitude and go i'm not playing for you without having to show him what you're all about you're on trial instantly so there's no difference with footballers and you you have a opportunity based on the fact that you're training straight away the new boss comes in an hour later you're on the training pitch being scrutinized so mm. and that happens every day and sometimes twice a day and so you kind of you're thrown straight in it, and and you'd be foolish to 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 not try to impress. Um, Lee, some players do it in different ways. You know, some some of us bring an apple in for Bruce. I, I think I brought him a bunch of apples or something one day, just to, <laughs> just to see whether that made any difference, and it didn't. But it was pretty obvious from the start that that was going on. Um, and I haven't had too many managers managerial changes over my career, and that's been for the benefit of me. And you know, I, I've enjoyed longevity with George and also Arsene. So it didn't happen too long, but certainly with under Bruce, there was a, a, a stage in the season where we didn't particularly like how we were playing, but we were professional and the power was still with the club. He still had the power to drop you and leave you out. And yeah. and I think now, I think now the players are so powerful that they could, they can literally get a manager out whenever they want. And, and the losing the dressing room is says a lot about the dressing room in its entirety because if it's a powerful dressing room, what I mean by that is a strong dressing room, you've got strong characters in there that police it themselves, then they kind of won't allow a dressing room to, to become broken up because you've got to put, you know, the, if you see people not towing the line or attitudes dropping, that some of the senior players will step in and go, no, this, you know, this is not how you behave. But that's only if you've got good pros at the top of that pyramid, if you like. If you haven't, if you've got some disruptive characters, yeah. then they can literally not address those problems. And then the manager's got a huge amount of problems. And that's what they talk about now about losing the dressing room. It's mm. because the characters in that dressing room don't care enough to fix the problem. And the club is, should be bigger. And the, you know the team and the club should be bigger than the individuals in there. You mentioned strong characters, Lee. I mean, there aren't many stronger characters around than Ian Wright. And obviously in that year, Bruce Riot was there. Those two personalities yeah. clashed. When that happened, what was that like for the other players? You know, Did they find themselves siding with Wrighty, with the manager? How did that play out from inside the dressing room? Well, he, as much as you want to say about Wrighty being a strong character, everything, and, he's, and he kind of has that power in the dressing room is a massive team player mm. so as as individual as he is he on the outside he was and obviously all his all his efforts went into scoring goals for himself but he was a big team player so 
you know, in the heat of the moment, it would kick off in the dressing room, which it did on many occasions with him and Bruce. The team was always the bigger and he, and he respected the hierarchy in the dressing room because right, he was by no means near the top of the, the hierarchy in that dressing room. There was a lot of strong characters that would, you know, have a word with him and say, look, you know, you can't say that, you can't behave like that. There was times where he was, you know, he was not reprimanded, but a word was said to him, you know, this could be disruptive and, he would. He would then. The team would be the biggest thing. And I'm not saying he would. As I said, toe the line. He would. He would maybe moderate his behaviour a little bit because mm. if we thought it was detrimental to the team, then we we would we absolutely step in and say, right, you know, this has got to stop. The team is the be all and end all. Or it should be. So, so Lee, why do you think we didn't get this sort of bounce with Freddie? Obviously, Unai Emery lost the dressing room in the tones we're talking about, but Freddie never yep. really had a chance again. And you could see well against the Man City game that. Just the way Ozil was behaving, let alone half the rest of the team, they weren't really. Yeah, well, we go, not that they weren't playing for him; they just weren't playing for anyone. No, we go back to you know the character and the, of the team and who 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 makes up that DNA of the team and whether that's a strong base to to for everything else to hang off and and it's quite simple be, for the reasons you've mentioned that that's possibly not the case that the. The big members in that team, um, whoever they are, because I'm try- <laughs> trying to find out who they are, yeah. it's not obvious that these these two or three of them in there going. No, you, do you know what? You come off. You come off the. I mean, I, I was doing the commentary, and I, I I tend to end up singling out certain players, but the behaviour that that is going on when I see it, and I'm doing commentary with three 0 down, and Urzel's getting taken off, and you know, took a minute to walk yeah. off the pitch. If I'd have been on that pitch, on the far side as a right back would have been, I would have run mm. over and I would have dragged him off that pitch and thrown him onto the bench myself. Because that that that, that he's putting himself above everybody. Yeah. And that, that cannot and should not ever be allowed. I don't care who you are. And regardless, he could have scored a hat-trick and, and we could have been 6-3 down and he'd have been disappointed to get, get off the pitch and him kicking his gloves off and uh, towards the crowd or whoever it was aimed at, you know, I don't, I, honestly, don't get me going on that one. <laughs> no, we want to get you going. But did you feel sorry for Freddie sitting there having to sort yeah. of take Absolutely, that? absolutely. You know, he's he's caught between the pillar and the post there. I mean, what, you know, what does he do? He's, try, he's trying to do his best for the team. Does he get up and grab him by the scruff of the neck and throw him off the pitch himself? No, I mean, you've got to have your own behaviour and you've got to have your own standards and... I hope that he would have spoke to him after the game or today or whenever it was and said, you do not behave like that. And if you do that again, I'll do whatever is in my power to reprimand you. And it, that should have been in the meeting the next day. Ultimately, the players are responsible for their, their behaviour on the pitch, but also their performances on the pitch. And when you look at what happened at the, at the weekend, neither of those is, is up to the standards that I have become accustomed yeah. to uh, at that football club. What about what about Lee? When you get players who are popular in the dressing room, we're talking about Xhaka here. We all heard that Xhaka was very popular in the dressing room. Undoubtedly, yeah. not popular in the stands. Doesn't that yeah. set the players? If the way that Emery behaved with the captaincy, does that not set the players against the fans to a certain extent? As players, if you go against the fans, you lose. Yeah. They pay you money. They they're the ones who've got the last say on you on a football pitch for ninety minutes, regardless of what you think and how you, well you're playing and what your attitude is or whatever, they have the final say, always have done, always will do. So if you as a team get in that dressing room going, 
yeah, we like Xhaka and he should be our captain. Well, fine. I, I, I haven't got a problem with that. He might be a nice guy and um, he probably is. And he's probably good in the draft. I've heard he's good in the dressing room with captain type um, details, you know, get making sure people are on time, all that. Brilliant. But the fact that he's not good enough footballer in my book is not his fault, really. No. And if the fans are voicing an opinion, they're voicing an opinion at the manager more than him, That you know, because they're saying he shouldn't be playing in, in, in their eyes. It's not his fault. I don't believe he goes out and doesn't give 100%. It's a, an ability thing. It's not a, a lack of effort. That can be accused at a few of the other ones, but it's a very dangerous thing for players to, to back players and go, right, we're going to go against the fans. As I said, there's only one winner there. Yeah. Uh, last, Lee, before we let you go, last time we spoke, you talked about the type of manager we needed. Uh, you yeah. were leading towards experience, given the mess we're in. I mean, we were just sitting here just before talking about the fact that Ancelotti looks like he's going to uh, be the Everton manager. Mm. Uh, but yeah. it looks like we are going to have this an imminent appointment of Mikel Arteta. Um, mm. Do you think he's the right person for the job? What's your immediate thoughts to that? My pick was Patrick Vieira. Yeah. And that was, he had some managerial experience as opposed to, you know, Freddie and as opposed to uh, Mikel Arteta, who, who hasn't. So... It's a gamble going for someone like Patrick because he's inexperienced, but he's still got managerial experience. He's been treading the boards a bit. so And he's also an, an, an Arsenal legend, absolute legend. Yep. Um, uh, Arteta's, I don't know whether you call him a legend. I guess you do. I mean, he's, you know, how many games did he play? 150 or something? Does, it, does that get legend status? I, I'm not too sure. He's well liked but, at the club, isn't he? Yeah, what's that mean? <laughs> it's just that he's a. I think that he knows the people around the club. And, you know, actually, when I said it, I thought I don't know really what that means. But the so truth it's a is, seller. he knows he knows the people around the club. He knows the club. The people at the club know him as well. Right, right. <laughs> well, not not yourself out with that one. He shouldn't have any trouble getting <laughs> past security. Then should he, he knows. Yeah, that's right. They recognise him. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, it's a gamble if, if he is the new manager it's a gamble he's never managed he's working under the best coach probably in the world at world football so he, he will definitely be picking stuff up but I think the club of, uh, if they're going for him of, of, are going for somebody that they can um, control and and, and, and and do the things that they want to do at the top and pass that down to him without too much trouble. That's why Ancelotti, I think, would have been a problem for him because he would have wanted it his own way. And I don't think they want that type of manager. You know, if you're going for that kind of inexperience and, and a, a, an Arsenal man, then I'm sorry, but he, he wouldn't be my choice. But I'm, I'm here on a weekly basis to be shot down in flames. Lee, we're going to let you go. Uh, let you go back to your one million pound council house. And <laughs> <laughs> nice to speak to you as always. And you. See you next week, boys. See you next Cheers, week. Lee, that is Lee Cheers. Dixon. Bye. Thanks to Lee. Uh, now we're joined by the athletic writer, uh, journalist David Ornstein. Good afternoon, David. Hi, Stoney. How are you doing? Yeah, we're doing fine. Thank you very much. Now, I read the piece you wrote about Mikel Arteta uh, yesterday. It does look like the appointment is imminent. We're currently speaking at on Tuesday afternoon around three o'clock or something. What's the latest news? 
But the first thing to say is that we talked about the Arsenal head coach situation on our podcast, Chapman and Ornstein, or Ornstein and Chapman. I'm just quite uh, (laughs) self-depreciating, so I wanted his name to go first. On Monday, recorded on Monday afternoon, and then the developments that happened in the situation took over, and we had to uh, bin it, basically. And so the podcast sounded slightly different. I hope history isn't going to repeat itself (laughs) in this situation. And I also hope history for the sake of Mikel Arteta, isn't going to repeat itself for him because we know in May 2018, he was among the front runners. It was felt that he was in pole position. He certainly uh, felt that the job was his uh, and he got pipped at the last moment by Unai Emery. Now, Tuesday morning, as as we uh, record this, there there have been, been some suggestions that Patrick Vieira um, is actually the the among the leading candidates still We knew he was a leading candidate and we reported in that piece on The Athletic that Arsenal met with him in London last week. So we know he's been in the frame, but there are some uh, reports coming out of France that he actually could be ahead of Arteta in in the sort of Arsenal hierarchy preference list. Now, I would personally be really shocked if that happened because Arsenal are far down the road with Mikel Arteta. Um, We know about the two meetings that have taken place. And that doesn't mean to say that there haven't been two meetings with other people. And Arsenal might say, well, you know, we've we've conducted a thorough process. We've spoken to loads of people. Yes, some photographs emerged of um, officials meeting with Mikel Arteta. But if there were cameras at other meetings, you could have drawn the same conclusion. We know that Mikel Arteta has informed Manchester City that talks have taken place and it would be a huge shock now if it was anyone other than Mikel Arteta but it is quite interesting that these little uh, murmurings are emerging uh, quite similar as how they did last time round. Well it's interesting also because of the fact that we just spoke to Lee Dixon a couple of minutes ago and he was saying that he would actually prefer Patrick Vieira yeah. mm-hmm. to Mikel Arteta and maybe that's reflected w- within some quarters of the club as well. Yeah well uh, if I'm to speak from what I've heard from a lot of people uh, they were really fond of the fact that uh, Patrick Vieira had been out and managed uh, as a number one elsewhere. He was approached by Newcastle last summer. He turned that down, as was, I think, Mikel Arteta. He's a former Arsenal captain. He's a more legendary figure than Mikel Arteta was. Um, He certainly, if his playing style is anything to go by, would provide some of the qualities that this squad at Arsenal desperately needs. Mikel Arteta is incredibly highly thought of throughout the game. I've been speaking to a number of people about his qualities, his pros, his cons. And, you know, it's not all glossy. There are some there are some real tough sides to him and some things that might rub people up the wrong way. Um, however, he is seen as being the ideal candidate by many people this time round, even though he hasn't held a number one position before. But it's interesting what Lee says, because um, he's not the only one that feels that way. And um, we could be in for a pretty dramatic uh, few days ahead. Uh, Arsenal do hope to make an appointment this week. Um But even people they've been speaking to in private, they've been urging a little bit of caution, playing their cards very close to their chest. Um, And so whether that is just to protect their confidentiality while they get things over the line with Mikel Arteta or whether there's more to it, uh, let's wait and see. What do you think, David, this all might mean for the future of Freddie Jumberg, whether it's Patrick Vieira or Mikel Arteta? Do you think that he would be prepared to work a staff for somebody in order to stay at the club? It's a really complicated situation with Freddie because he was obviously brought into the first team set up uh, as an assistant with a knowledge among everybody in the Arsenal hierarchy and Lundberg himself that 
if something was to happen with Unai Emery, then he would be capable and qualified to to hold the fort. Mm. So immediately, the mindset is that he could be either on an interim basis or permanently, number one, out of the blue, really. And then comes this situation where Arsenal's form, the West Ham game really aside, continues to plummet. And, and so they're in a really tricky situation. They've got enormous regard for Lundberg. He's conducted himself really well in their minds, perfectly, to a man they've been supportive of him up top among the power brokers. Uh, but they find themselves in a situation now, would Mikel Arteta or Patrick Vieira or anybody else uh, want him on the staff? Uh, certainly, I think Arsenal would want him on the staff. That probably goes without saying. But really, in these situations, it's probably not Arsenal's call. If they're giving somebody like Arteta or, or Vieira complete backing, normally they would want to go with their own people. And then the other thing we don't know is what Freddie Lundberg would want himself. Would he want to get out of there and pursue a number one role elsewhere. The likes of West Ham have been linked with him. Certainly there, there is admiration around the game for him. Or a number two elsewhere. Um, there are loads of things to, to be considered. There are reports emerging today, Tuesday, that Freddie Lundberg um, has a role lined up on the coaching staff of Mikel Arteta. I don't think that's true to my knowledge. And so that's another complication in all of this. And it was quite telling towards the um, sort of last couple of uh, games of Freddie Lundberg's reign, which of course could go on. That's why I'm being quite careful with yeah. with my uh, wording. Uh, that he did speak out on the um, lack of sort of a coaching team that's been put in place around him. When he came into the interim role, the idea was that for the Norwich game first up, he was going to take a couple of internal staff, um, and that, that's what we saw with um, with Per Mertesaka doubling up with the academy role, and also I think Sal Bibo um, and some others. They're working with him on a match day, but also on the training ground in sessions that we didn't see. Um, but that week after the Norwich match, he was meant to be building his own team that would be with him for this interim period, whether it was a couple of weeks or whether it was until the end of the season. And possibly if things had gone better, even being considered for the full time role. It was very telling that Arsenal didn't provide him with any staff. Yeah. That that could be said by Arsenal that it was the sensible thing to do in case a new man came in and then it could be a smoother transition. But clearly it was something that irritated him. And he almost called them out in public on it, saying, you need to sort this situation out. I've not had coaching staff around me. And whether that has soured things a little in the last couple of weeks, we don't know. But certainly this is not a, an easy situation. And uh, God forbid Arsenal should actually be thinking about winning football matches during this period as well. Davis, Nick Callow here. Just a, a, hey, cu a couple of questions. One, what sort of credibility do you give the stories that um, some of the senior players at Arsenal have been asking for a more qualified in terms of an experienced manager rather than a sort of startup man like Arteta and I know you don't like to talk about yourself but having watched your career develop since you turned down a job working for me after a work <laughs> experience spell quite rightly so unpaid. <laughs> you've now unpaid of course um, you've now emerged as a man that Arsenal fans go to to look to for information to be sort of stood up and you know do you feel a lot of pressure at this time when you're doing your job for Athletic to sort of be right on top of it and be the man that breaks the story or confirms the story that who the next Arsenal manager is going to be? Two very different questions, yes. Nick. Never, never not one to challenge me. So on, on the first point, I don't know if senior players or players full stop have been asking for a senior, more experienced head coach to come in. I think that's probably quite unlikely. But some of the senior players have doubts over their own futures. Mm. Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, Alexander Lacazette, 
Mesut Ozil. Uh, there aren't too many other experienced players. David Luiz is, is new in. I, d- I don't know if they would have voiced their opinion formally. And more importantly, I don't know if it would carry much weight. This isn't a decision for the players. It's a decision for some extremely well-paid executives. I don't even, I, I don't even think Josh Kroenke in the early stages, especially, will be ex- will have been expressing a preference over who they go for, um, other than some perhaps broad criteria, um, because that's what he's paying the likes of Raus and Lehi Vinay Venkateshim, Edu and Hasfami to do. Yes. Um, so I'm really uh, sceptical on the idea. Um, in terms of your second question, pressure, um, not really. The, the only pressure that you've, you've ever, I've ever put myself under was just to be right as opposed to uh, be quick. Mm-hmm. And there have been many stories that I've, uh, you could say, missed out on or been late to, but I've got no regret about uh, 99% of them. There were a couple that I felt I should have gone with sooner because I had them on strong authority, like the day that um, Robin Van Persie moved from Arsenal to Manchester United. I had that in the morning and I was being absolutely you know, triple sure that it was happening. Eventually I went with it. I put it on my shoulders and said, I'll take the responsibility for this. And uh, the club's released statements 10 minutes later. So there are frustrations along the way, but the only way you build integrity is by um, getting things right. And when you get things right and you build trust and relationships um, with people involved in all of these situations, there is a greater chance of you getting it quickly as well. I don't always get everything right and a lot of people um, use the Arteta transfer to Arsenal from Everton as a stick to beat me with. And also, at the end of the day, this isn't sort of global politics. This is sport. And and um, some of these stories aren't quite as serious as many people out there like to make out. Absolutely right. Quite. Uh, David, we appreciate the thoroughness, though. Let's hope that Arteta <laughs> doesn't bite you on the arse for a second time. Um, you... <laughs> not... <laughs> nice to speak to you, David, as always. Pleasure, guys. We played a little bit with a handbrake. Now, as David mentioned, you can listen to him and Mark Chapman every Monday. Uh, It's another podcast from The Athletic Stable. I mean, it is part of the reason that people trust him is because he's thorough and he tries to get it right. He does. Patrick Vieira, though, I mean, that's really... uh... It's a bit of a excited, yeah. I'd love to see Patrick Vieira as well. So you're with Lee Dixon, you prefer yeah. Patrick Vieira over Mikel Arteta? Yeah, I think Mikel Arteta would be, would be an interesting appointment and I'm going to get behind whoever the manager is, whoever he is. I think that's vital for the supporters. We've had a tweet from someone saying, can everyone just, whoever the new manager is, can everyone just get behind him? No more moaning and tutting. But I think it would just would really... <laughs> <laughs> right. Sanjay Sony is going to be in. really upset with you. Uh, yeah. No, I, I, of course it's a good point, but you know when fans say, "Do you know what? I'm going to get behind the manager." I sort of feel like, "Well, yeah, obviously. What else are you going to do? You know, that's what we got to do." Whoever right. it is, James, you wrote a piece uh, for the Athletic mm. uh, after Sunday's game, uh, talking about the mess that we're in right now that there were two lines that stood out for me in that piece one was it's absurd that Arsenal ended up facing England's champions without any real semblance of a coaching staff (laughs) that was the first one because the club doctor was helping with the warm-up as far as I could tell Mm. and the second one was when considering attributes for a potential new head coach fans should prize a willingness to publicly hold those above them to account particularly highly yeah I I think that's really important you think about 
David just talked about Freddie Jungberg and the fact that he might have damaged his relationship with the club by calling them out, essentially yes. saying they've not given me a coaching staff. Well, I think as fans, that's what we should be looking for in a head coach. And that isn't to necessarily thrust Freddie's candidacy to the fore. But whoever it is, whether it's Arteta, whether it's Vieira, you want them to be someone who takes those guys to task and has the bigger interest of the club at heart. Because I really do be, believe that Freddie's got that. No, because I mean, I sometimes felt when Arsene Wenger was the manager that he didn't call out the board enough. Mm. No, he, well, Arsene was very much the sort of scream between the fans and the press and everyone and the board, wasn't he? And now that veil of security for them has gone and everyone's looking at Edu and Raoul and the Cronkies much more closer. They're under a lot more pressure now. So, to the first point I was talking about, they faced England's champions without any real semblance of a coaching staff. I mean, that's just, that's negligent, isn't it? It is. I mean, I guess, you know, if you wanted to play devil's advocate or the club's advocate, they don't want to appoint a load of new staff for Freddie and then have to get rid of them a few weeks later. But in that situation, you're right. I mean, it is completely absurd. What what can we expect to happen? You wrote another article, didn't you, about mm. Mesut Ozil? Mm. So Mesut Ozil put out this statement speaking about the plight of these Muslims in China. Uh, the club weren't aware that he was going to do that. He dropped it on his Instagram and it really sent everybody into a bit of a panic because this is an incredibly inflammatory thing within China. I think the United Nations and most people outside of China can see this is a situation where Meza Erzul's <laughs> absolutely in the right. You do not talk about it in China in that way. The NBA found that out to their cost not yes. too long ago. Yes. And it's going to cost them millions and millions of pounds. Now, Arsenal saw this fault happen with Ozil and immediately, well not immediately, but very swiftly put out a statement of their own making very clear that this was Ozil's personal view and that Arsenal themselves are an apolitical organisation. Uh, and that was put on their Weibo, their Chinese account. They didn't release it in England. But uh, nevertheless, that wasn't enough to pacify China and the coverage of the Arsenal-Man City game was pulled from CCTV, from Chinese television. Well, lucky Chinese Arsenal fans then, <laughs> to be fair. But also, by the way, I mean, you're right, Arsenal are not a political entity, they're just yeah. a football club. Uh, Hector Bellerin put out a very rude tweet about Boris Johnson before the election. Mm. No one said anything about that at the club. No, that's true. I mean, the club's argument is that they weren't asked to, but... Equally, nobody asked them to say anything about Meza Ozil, and yet they felt they had to act. Now, the question is, why in this situation did they feel that? I, I bet you could have quite a good guess, Ian. Mm. Uh, well, of course, I understand commercial opportunities. Of course, it makes perfect yeah. sense from that point of view. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, it's a shame that you know, we're now following football at a time when the clubs have to kowtow to all these people when they should be supporting their players, in my opinion, whether it's Hector or Meza Ozil here. They should be supporting players when they're saying things which most right-minded people would probably agree with. Ozil's, he has his values, his individual values, and in, in this instance it means that he's talking about an issue in China where I think almost uniformly people outside China would say he is in the right. So I think as a fan it is disappointing for the club to sort of come out and make the statement that they didn't distance themselves from him on what is quite an important humanitarian issue. I totally agree about that. The more distance we get between us and Mesut Ozil, the better. <laughs> and I cannot wait for him to go. That that show of petulance, mm. whatever it was, 60 minutes, get off the pitch. And don't we come saw back. what happened. We, well, we saw what happened with Granite Xhaka. And, and you're thinking, hang on a minute, that was only six weeks ago. You didn't watch that. You're, we're 3-0 down. We, none of us, none of us thought we were going to get that back into the game, but that's really not the point. And then, by the way, the best pass he did was his gloves. Mm. And that's not good enough. Yeah, he did show more conviction kicking the gloves than doing pretty much anything else in the game. I can remember one of my sort of early days, a reporter putting something like, uh, credit to the so-and-so team, they didn't give up and kept fighting to the final whistle. And my editor at the time said, 
You never say that's their job. They should always, as a matter of fact, footballers should play to the final whistle and keep working, working, because that's what they're getting paid to do. That's their job. It's not to their credit. I can understand when players, when it's all coming on top of them in a match like that, where they really feel there's no way back. Manchester City have got a bit of wobbly, shaky defence, apparently. Not that we got to test them at the weekend but you know, one got back we could have got another one who and knows? anything could have happened who knows who knows but no thanks to Mesut there's, there's probably a lot of Arsenal fans who would like to see Mesut as go but we can safely say that one destination he won't be going to now is China does seem that way are we too good to go down just out of interest <laughs> I'm mean, sorry I'm just asking this question because our next four games are Everton yeah. away with a new manager it looks like then Bournemouth away, away. who've just got a win and they're looking like they're starting to play and then Chelsea and Manchester United at home mm. we could lose those games and then we're going to January we could be near or in the bottom three are we too good too good to go down I'm actually asking that question now. I still think Arsenal are too good to go down I still think they are but I mean you're right you look at those fixtures it's really concerning I mean Come January 1st, we could be a lot closer to the bottom three than anything else, certainly. Uh, but I think that there is enough quality there. But the famous last words, you know, it was said of Leeds. It's been said of many good sides. If, Manchester United in the 70s. Well, there you go. Fallen by the wayside. I think we are too good to go down. But having covered that match, being at the West Ham Stadium the other week when we won there, the atmosphere was euphoric. Mm. We are staying up. You know, it was sort of the sort of gallows humour. Yeah. From the the Arsenal fans are fantastic there. They stay they stay behind the, the team for the whole match, and the second half made a great bit of noise. You could see that really lifted them. And I remember those of us working there that night. There was a buoyancy in the press room as well. Amy was there as well, and we thought, I thought, yeah, actually, God, we're in danger now of qualifying for the Europa League. Please don't, <laughs> don't win them. Just just enough points to be about twelfth, tenth, eleventh. Be absolutely suit me fine because I think this season is a write-off. I've got no time for the Europa League, whether we win it or not. FA Cup would be lovely, but let's just stay mid-table and let the new manager bleed in players and get everyone ready for next season when we can start being the Arsenal again, the one that we know and love. Are you not excited about playing Olympiacos again? Not as such. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. Not Um, remotely, are you? No, not remotely, no. (laughs) No, me neither. I think we should get a tune to finish uh, because we usually pick a uh, tune and it does look, well, we're going to have a new manager uh, it may well be Mikel Arteta. Mm. It could be Patrick Vieira. James, do you have a tune? That I don't know. Play the new boss, same as the old boss. I don't know. <laughs> uh, if it's Patrick Vieira, uh, it's got to be the Vieira song, hasn't Valara. it? Yeah, Valara. It's got to be Valara if it, yeah. if it okay. should well, be him. That's a good. My my choice uh, was by the Clash, "Lost in the Supermarket," because that's where it feels like we are at the moment. <laughs> we just go around shopping. It is a bit. I mean, the chorus from that was, "I'm all lost in the supermarket. I can no longer shop happily." I came in here for a special offer, a guaranteed personality. Sounds like Ralph Senyahi in the transfer window. I mean, that sounds a bit like our you know, director football leadership group at the moment, all lost in the supermarket. I'm all lost in the supermarket. I can no longer shop happily. I came in here for a special offer, guaranteed personality. I wasn't born so much as I fell out. I was going to go for... Um, here come the, was it the hot stepper? Because we used to try and sing that to our, here come the Arteta. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, we tried that. Uh, although we did get laughed at, I think, when I uh, suggested it. <laughs> anyway, uh, there are, uh, that's pretty much uh, it for us. There are some fantastic podcasts to look out for from The Athletic. For example, 
Even if you're not a Newcastle fan, we have a fantastic interview with Rafa Benitez on our dedicated Newcastle show. Pod on the time this week. Good name. Yeah, very good. <laughs> make sure you download to hear Rafa discussing his time in China and whether he's hoping to make a return to management in the Premier League. And just by listening to this, you can subscribe now with a 40% discount by going to theathletic.com and using the code ARSENALPOD. Uh, thanks to Nick. Thanks to James. Cheers. Thanks to thanks Tao, our producer. That's all from us, but there will be a podcast from, from us in your feed next week over Christmas And as Amy, James, Lee and myself discuss what Christmas is like for footballers and our Christmas wish list and much more. Thanks for listening. I'm Ian Stone. See you then. Thank you.